Welcome to the Wise Musician Club. We are a group of musicians, performers, and music executives who realize that access to the music industry has become harder than ever, and we want to change that. We want to show future rock stars and rock stars that want to continue their career in this digital environment that there is a pathway to success, and it's not all based on luck. We are going to dispel myths, share the trade secrets, and explain the industry from the inside and out so you can absolutely kill it in the music business. All right. Thank you so much. This is Amy Schultz with the Wise Musician Club, and we have Eric Eldenius, the worldwide famous drummer for currently for Billy Idol. And uh, we have him with us today. And hello, Eric. Hello, Amy. <laughs> Thanks for joining Not us. Else. <laughs> um, truly appreciate you, you taking the time to talk to me today. I yep. know you have a really, really cool story. And um, as we talked about a little earlier prior to recording, you know, we're just trying to share to help other career musicians, whether they be, you know, old, older rock stars that are trying to keep their careers going, uh, the independents that we've never heard of, but have a very strong music career and, and make a living doing that a very nice living or the new up and comers and the parents that want their kids to succeed so badly. We're going to, we're sharing our stories to really help guide them from both positives and potential mistakes we've all made in our careers. And, you know, it'll help guide them on where to go and what to do in today's wonderful digital environment. So um, I'd like to start today by just sharing your backstory. How did you get into music? Sort of what is your, what is the culmination of what brought you here today? Well, um, I grew up in Sweden in a semi-small town and uh, I think it was it was one of those things where I, either you you could have something in your life that kind of saved you from a bunch of trouble that you could easily get caught up in if you live in a small town in Sweden and uh, luckily uh, my parents uh, none of them are uh, neither of them are you know working musicians but you know, they've always loved music, and uh, I sort of grew up in a household with, you know, instruments around me, you know, whether it was a piano or a guitar or some weird ethnic instrument from Africa or India, and um, I'm not really sure what I picked up first, but um, I know for a fact that I ended up breaking a lot of pots and pans and cutlery and, you know, chopsticks <laughs> around the house, so I think eventually they, you know, could understand that, oh, I guess, you know, it's drums that he's interested in. And I, uh, I got my first uh, set of drums when I was four. So I was pretty wow. young. And it's almost like there is a memory. I don't even know what to call it, but because I feel like I just remember getting my first drums. And then it's almost like, 20 years later, I was here. It was just one of those things where that was what I was meant to do. It's like already... nothing really mattered. Um, and I know this is going to sound a little silly and, and cheesy almost, but you know, I think my parents, I mean, they've mentioned this several times where it was just kind of easy to raise me as a kid because. I just kind of took care of what I wanted to do and they just, you know, and, and that's another, you know, a huge key factor, obviously, which is, you know, to have, you know, supporting parents and, and people that can sort of understand what it is that you want to do and, and hopefully, you know, see the potential along the way so the, you know, support can continue. But I think it was, it was sort of easy, you know, because of that, I just kind of did my thing. And uh, probably wasn't the best student in school. I mean, I know that I wasn't, but, you know, at least I knew what I wanted to do, so. Yeah, you're not the first person to, um, that we've spoken to. Everybody has a very similar story that way. I like, think it's very common, yeah. Very yeah. common, and, and myself too, even though, you know, uh, 
other authoritative factors continued to try to guide us somewhere else. And I always just kept coming back to this, you know, kept coming back to where you felt comfortable, where you fit. So I can appreciate that. So, uh, so as you as a four-year-old little drummer child, and you already, you know, <laughs> envisioned, you know, where you wanted to be in life, what was the, the ride that you took? Tell us about the journey that you took to now touring the world with Billy Idol. Well, I mean, it, it was very clear to me from an early age that I wanted to, to move to the U.S., Okay. I knew that for a fact. Um, and it was, my plan was actually to move to New York City. I even have the horrible drawings to prove it because that, that's what I did. I, apparently, I would sit and draw the New York skyline and, you know, I would tell my friends, this is where I'm going to live. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I, I just, I wasn't really sure. I, you know, I think a lot of people, of course, they, they, they have this sense of, a strong sense of what they want to do. They don't necessarily know exactly what it is that they're going to end up doing or even how to get there, you know, which of course is, you know, that's, it's a big mystery to a lot of people just in terms of how do you get from, you know, if, if this is your end goal, like how do you get from point eight to, to the sort of, you know, the finish line and everyone's going to probably give you uh, a different, piece of advice in terms of what the best way is. And, um, uh, you know, I don't think there is only one way of doing things because it's so up to you. And um, it's, you know, it's very subjective, obviously. But for me, it was literally almost like all, uh, I, I call it almost like the, the bulldozer effect where I just knew what I wanted and there was nothing that I was going to, let get in the way uh, of me, you know, again, moving towards what I wanted, but not really knowing what that would be. So it was just, obviously, the first goal was to, you know, move over here to the US and, um, you know, learn the business and, and understand the business. And, you know, because that's a whole other thing, which, you know, we can talk about more later, but, you know, to become a musician is one thing and knowing what you want and, you know, you get to do what you love to do. But, you know, there's also a business side to what we do. And, you know, that's a whole other game, you know, and you need to learn that. And that's not something you can, you know, go to school for. It's like right. you need to be like literally thrown into the lion's den and, and then see if you can survive. <laughs> right. It's, you know. It's, it's, it's interesting and it's probably not for everyone because it's, you know, it can be a bit rough, you know, you gotta have some thick skin, you know. Absolutely. What age did you come <laughs> over to the United States? I moved here when I was 20. And um, so I had, I, well, again, I, you keep asking obviously, and I keep avoiding the subject, <laughs> but how, how I sort of got here, which was, of course, I started taking the lessons when I was fairly young, started playing guitar and piano sort of along the way and took piano lessons. Um, and I had a few different drum teachers and I, you know, went through high school and all of that stuff, studied economics, did two years of music college in Sweden. And at that point, it was almost, I mean, that really was sort of the breaking point for me because uh, I just knew that I needed to get out of Sweden. You know, it's a wonderful place for many different reasons, but I just knew that it was, I needed to get out. And luckily those two years of music college were absolutely amazing and life-changing. And um, I had, so after I graduated uh, high school, I already knew that I was accepted into this music college. So <clears throat> sort of a couple of years prior to that, I had sort of switched from this idea of me moving to New York City to be a jazz drummer, I had now sort of shifted my focus to moving to Los Angeles instead. And so uh, after high school, I came here to Los Angeles for a month, just on vacation. 
I'd actually had a couple of drum students because I was teaching as well when I was younger. Uh, I had a couple of drum students that were attending uh, Musicians Institute and they lived uh, down in Hollywood. And so I was able to, to stay with them for a month just to, you know, check out the city that I was about to move to. Um, and uh, kind of fell in love with it. And I knew that, you know, this was going to be the right move. So I obviously went back to Sweden. Now, with, you know, with a lot of intent, obviously, and purpose and the goal of knowing that, oh, well, you know, I'm going to move to Los Angeles in a couple of years. So I just went back and studied my ass off and uh, somehow just mentally prepared, I guess, for, for moving here. And uh, I, I should probably say that nothing can probably prepare you for moving here and trying to become, you know, a, a working musician, because you literally feel like you're, like, you're starting your whole life, right, over again, or or you, you become a child of, of the, I don't even know, can't even use a good <laughs> metaphor at the moment, but it's like you you become very very humble, I I suppose, and you. It, that's when it's really time to start working. Like you can prepare yourself as much as you can musically, but um, if you want to move here and sort of become a working musician, that it's it's difficult. It's also very possible. Um, things have drastically changed uh, from when I moved here. I've lived here now for 22 years, and it's it's. Uh, not quite the same you know again what we touched on earlier like you know all the, these new digital platforms and developments technology in general have changed so much um to uh, to the point where opportunities aren't the same for a lot of people but also just in general the, the music business has changed so much in terms of um of what's available for us to do. Right. So when you landed in, <clears throat> excuse me, Los Angeles, you said you had music students. So were you teaching music? You mean some students from Sweden had come over here to live in Los Angeles? Yes. Oh. Um, I started teaching drums when I was about 15. Cool. And um, yeah, a couple of years into that, I had two students that were older than me that had obviously, you know, they had already graduated high school and stuff like that. And they were gonna uh, attend the Sessions Institute. So I, they were sent their um, sort of basic curriculum in advance. So I sort of helped prepare them for that. And a lot of it was, uh, you know, just, just about reading music and, you oh. know, maybe, uh, getting a, a better grasp on different styles of music that they weren't, you know, they were sort of primarily, you know, hard rock or metal drummers. And you know, here, here they are, like they're, they're looking at this music and it's like, what's, what's a samba? What does that mean? I was like, ah, all right, well, here we go. To go to work. You know what I mean? So, so it would be things like that. Got and, it. Um, yeah. Unfortunately they don't, uh, they, I think they came here maybe for a year and went to school. Not really in touch with them at all, but yeah, they they went back. Got it. All Dark, right, rainy Sweden. <laughs> it seems like it's been like that around here, though. This past winter, it's been dark and rainy. I know, right? Well, I guess we need it. <laughs> all right, so you land in Los Angeles, and so as a studio musician, because we haven't talked to anybody yet who is you know strictly in the uh, studio, but um, uh, yeah, you know. You're not the front of the band or anything like that, right? So, um, thank God, a hired gun, if you will. Uh, so, what do you do? Do you was it at that time? It was word of mouth that people just said, "Here's the bands that are auditioning. Here are the opportunities." Or did you set up your studio right away? No, 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 no. That came much, much later. Um, interestingly enough. I, I had this one strategy when I first came here. Okay. And it, it's sort of proven to work even to this day. And it's very simple. 
Um, so I had applied literally to, to go to music college here. And it was simply just a way for me to get into the country and have some sort of, you know, visa so I could stay. Because I was, you know, I was sort of done with school and all that stuff. But <clears throat> it was a smart way for me to get in, you know, get into the country, meet some other musicians, obviously. And I was living in Northridge at the time. And, and I don't know if this was a, uh, a national magazine or if it was only here in California. But there was a, almost like a liquor store type magazine called The Recycler, right? That you could pick up for free. You know, it was next to like some other cheap magazines that you, you know, you, you just picked it up after you left, you know, the store or something. Yeah. Right? All the way out. And what they would have uh, were a bunch of, you know, ads about, you know, well, you know, guitar player wanted for this type of music, you know, this type of band or whatnot. And... And I would get one of those every week, or I think it was every week that they came out. And just like, you know, look at everything like, you know, who's looking for a drummer or whatnot. And it was almost like some sort of emergency ad, like, we need a drummer, you know. I think it was like on a Thursday and they needed a drummer for a Saturday. So it was like only a couple of days away. <clears throat> so there was no time to like meet up or audition or anything, just said, Drummond needed urgently, need to be able to play, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, yeah, I guess it was sort of like an R&B cover band, right? And, and I called him up like, yes, I can do this, you know. Um, I'll see you down there. And <laughs> the gig was literally, in, it was in Englewood late on a Saturday night. And I had just bought my first car, like this old Ford sedan. And I'm driving down there with my drums. And I only had one sort of purpose, other than, of course, you know, hopefully doing a good job and doing the gig without getting killed. The goal was, I'm going to walk away from this gig with another gig offered. In other ways, uh, my whole goal was to just make an impression to the point where these people would feel like, oh, that worked out well. We need to hire this guy again. And I got paid five dollars, by the way. <clears throat> <laughs> but I, I walked, I left that gig with the band leader saying that you know what, we have another couple of gigs next month, and we want you to do them. And that sort of became uh, my my just my strategy in general. Like I always just. Of course, you show up and you try to, you know, do the best job you can do. Sometimes it's out of your control whether or not it's going to, you know, work out or not. Or sometimes it's just not working, you know. It could be personality differences or, you know, just musically as well, of course. Um, but that was just, that sort of, yeah, that was my strategy. Got it. And it still works. <laughs> you know, if you walk in with that attitude and um, and sort of what I hope to be, you know, a, a professional approach, um, you know, chances are you'll, you'll, you know, you'll get another call. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Now you, um, from, from that strategy and playing local cover gigs, what brought you into, how did you get the opportunity? Because I know, you know, Billy isn't the only worldwide national act that you've toured with, but how, how did you transition into that, into getting the opportunities to audition for major um, label acts? Ironically, within just a few months of moving here, I became really good friends with a couple of other Swedish musicians that had moved here and, um, older than me and that they, you know they'd lived here for a few years and they uh one of them in particular recommended me to um to a guy named barry squire who used to be i think he used to be an a and r person for columbia records but he kind of started a almost like a side business he ended up getting to know a lot of musicians like myself that were, you know, freelance musicians, right? And because he was 
also working for Columbia Records. Of course, he also very conveniently found out when there was a new, you know, singer-songwriter being signed, right. right? Came out with a new record. Now this person needs a band because they're going on tour. And um, I, I was recommended to him and, um, and ended up getting my first job, my first touring job through him. And uh, year after year, you know, uh, he kept calling me like, hey, so-and-so is looking for a drummer. You know, you, you want to come down and audition? I'm like, yeah, sure. And, you know, sometimes you would get the job, sometimes you wouldn't. But one day he called me up and said that, hey, there's this local guy that he doesn't have a record deal. He's not going on the road. But he's here in town. His name is Nick Frost, and he's working with the famous producer Keith Forsey. And Keith is producing him and writing with him. And he said, Well, if you don't know who Keith Forsey is, you know, he's the guy that basically created Billy Idol and produced a bunch of hits for Donna Summer and Simple Minds and other um, big names. And so I went to audition for Nick, and, and Keith was there. And immediately we sort of just hit it off. I ended up getting the job and um, kind of worked with them on and off, you know, almost, I would say probably a year and a half. We would just do gigs around town, we would write, record. So I would get to know Keith very well. And I remember very, very specifically, we did, we did a gig down in Hollywood and at Soundcheck, in front of everyone, <laughs> he was just saying like, hey, Eric, um, you know, Billy, you know, he, he wrote a couple of new demos and we're gonna record one next week. You wanna come and play the drums on it? And it was just like, wait a minute. And I was probably, I don't know, 22 or 23 at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember the, the, the rest of the band kind of just looked back at me like, you motherfucker. <laughs> and I was like, trying to kind of play it cool. I was like, yeah, sure, Keith. Yeah, of course. No problem. I'll be there. And so I show up, you know, nervous as hell, you know, with my drums and, you know. And Keith is there with the engineer. Um, There's a place called The Jungle Room, which is still a sort of existing studio, but it's not really operating the same way anymore. But I remember hearing the song, we listened through the song, and and he goes, hold on a minute. And he goes and opens the door and and in walks Billy Idol. I'm like, holy shit, this is so <laughs> I was hoping he wouldn't be here. Because <laughs> I was nervous as it was, you know, already. For sure. And, and as you know, you know, with, you have a control room and then you usually have a big glass window that goes, you know, where you can look into the tracking room, right? <coughs> Excuse me. These allergies have just been horrible. <coughs> Anyways, so now I have both Keith and Billy, and they're standing right by this window. And for some reason, they, this particular day, they had set up the drums right by the window, but sort of facing outwards. So I have both Billy and Steve, <laughs> I mean, Billy uh, and Keith, like literally standing like, you know, five inches, you know, like, oh, you know, <laughs> egging me on. I'm like, oh my God, like, <laughs> I cannot fuck this up. You know, but, you know, Billy's doing his, you know, typical Billy Island with his fist in the air and the snarl and the, everything. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Anyways, so I do that and, uh, and then they would just, you know, periodically over over the years, Keith would call and just like, you know, hey, Billy, you know, wrote some new songs again, and you know, why don't you come in and play play the drums? And so that would happen. And uh, fast forward to 2011. At this point, obviously, I, you know, I'd done a, a lot of records with with Keith and his engineer Brian Reeves, who's also producer on his own. 
So I'd worked with both of them a lot. And like I said, had done, you know, random sessions for Billy here and there. And then, but I'd never worked with Steve Stevens, uh, his guitar player and musical director. And Steve had uh, played on the soundtrack for the uh, Top Gun movie. You know, the theme song for that. Yeah. Iconic um, theme, uh, anthem. And he, uh, the writer of that uh, movie was Harold Faltermeyer. And so Keith calls me one day and goes, you know, Harold is in town because he lives in Germany and he's written this other, this, this other piece that's very similar to Top Gun. Um, and Steve Stevens is doing the guitars and we want you to play the drums for it. And so I do, everything works out great. And uh, uh, I still didn't meet Steve. And then fast forward to maybe six months after that, I get a call very early in the morning and I'd actually been at a party the night before. So it was, <laughs> it was very inconvenient to get a phone call early in the morning, but it was from Keith Forsey. I'm like, oh God, why is he calling this early? And of course, the second thought that I'm having is like, oh God, if he's calling this early, he must be calling me for work. And oh my God, I was at a party. I said, this, oh God, this is horrible. Why, why, why did I do this? And he called, he, I pick up the phone and he goes, Eric, how quickly could you be at the Jungle Room? You know, I live in Studio City and the Jungle Room is in Burbank, so it's not very far away. You can call it 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, just how quickly, I'm like, well, I don't know, half an hour? Get her as quickly as you can. When you're in the car, call me and I'll explain to you. You don't have to bring anything. I'll explain to you what's happening while you're driving. Like, oh my God, like, what? This is weird. <laughs> Never gotten a phone call like this. I love this story. <laughs> so far, yeah, anyway, right. this is fun. And uh, so I call him. I'm like, Keith, well, what's the deal? He's like, well, we're here. We're re recording Rebel Yell and Dancing with Myself. And we can't find Billy's drummer. Literally can't find him. That's what he was saying. Now, I mean, I know now, I know the, the guy and I'm not gonna get into the, all the reasons why, but um, at the time it was just like, we don't know where he is and we need to do these recordings right now. And, uh, and I show up and basically all, everything is set up. And, but the challenge was that we need to, we need the drum tracks to sound exactly like the original tracks. So of course now we have to sit and listen to the original tracks and you know tune the drums a specific way and record them a specific way and obviously play everything exactly the way it was played. So with very little sleep and you know a hangover, here I am <laughs> having to play these songs. They're, they're you know also really really fast, right? Hard hitting and aggressive. <laughs> And I don't know how I got through it, but, but I did. And uh, it was probably another six months or so after that when, uh, when Keith called me again and said, hey, uh, um, Billy has a few gigs. And this was in, I think he, they called me in like in August of 2012 and said, Billy has, you know, a few gigs lined up. And um, your name keeps popping up, you know. Obviously, Keith has, you know, talked about me with them before, but I think I was always probably too young, actually, maybe to to be even considered. And for a good reason, I don't think I would have been ready for it either. But he basically just said, "Listen, you know, if you can do these gigs and it works out well, there's probably a good chance of being able to join the band." And uh, yeah, so, and then Steve Stevens emailed me and basically said, hey, you know, I've really enjoyed listening to the tracks that you, that, you know, the track that you did for Harold and the recordings that you did of Rebel Yell and Dancing With Myself. 
and we think you would be a good match, you know? So it wasn't even technically, I guess it was an audition, but they basically just said, hey, listen, why don't you just, you know, learn a few more songs and just come down and, and rehearse a few songs with us. And I remember showing up and, you know, everyone was just unbelievably friendly and nice. And, and this is actually quite funny because uh, Billy wasn't there. Okay. So everyone else is there except for Billy. And we, you know, I think they had told me to learn like five songs or so. Of course, I learned like 10 or 15 instead. Right. And basically, hey, listen, you want to do this? You want to do that? You know, because I, I sort of knew like, you know, as it is for a lot of different musicians, you know, a particular song can showcase your style in a different way. So I was thinking about different songs that can sort of showcase my abilities as a drummer. So, you know, you pick different things maybe to showcase that you're versatile or that you can sort of handle the whole catalog. And so that's kind of what I did. And we played through everything. And I remember this was kind of strange. They all walked away into the corner of this rehearsal room. <laughs> kind of stood there, huddled around, and I'm sitting there by my drums like, okay, well, it's like, this is a bit strange. I feel like, you know, waiting for a verdict or something, right? Right. And then they come back and she goes, um, can you stay a little bit longer? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll stay, you know, for years if you want me to. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, because, you know, uh, Billy's going to come by. Like, oh, okay. So I guess I, you know, passed the first test, I suppose. And then um, Billy shows up. And we play the same songs. And uh, no one's saying it. And then they disappear again, all of them, <laughs> into the same damn corner. <laughs> oh, God, Jesus. Wow, all right. And then they, yeah. So they come back and Steve basically says that, uh, all right, well, you know, ready to go to Moscow next year, next week. I think it was the, the week after they had a, my, yeah, my very first gig was in Moscow. Wow. I was like, yeah, sure. It's like, all right, well, clear your week because, you know, you got songs to learn and we'll get rehearsals to do. So, wow. So, again, I went in with the same strategy that I had developed <laughs> at that point, I guess 16 years earlier or so. Like, all right, I'm going to do this gig and I'm going to make damn sure that they call me again. Yeah, and what, um, what is consistent in the stories that you're sharing is that you're, um, you're oh, I don't want to say over-preparing, but you're extra-preparing because... Uh, like you said, to showcase your style and you're showing up at 4.30 in the morning or the drop of a hat to re-record something that somebody didn't show up for. You're dependable, consistent, and, and an overachiever, <laughs> right? And you're super nice. So who wouldn't want to well, be touring the world with you? <coughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, listen, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, this town is filled with wonderful and great musicians. There's a lot of really, really great players out here. And, uh, you know, you kind of get, I shouldn't say they, they only get one chance, but, you know, you, you just, to over-prepare and to be professional, like, you know, these are all things that should just be, those are basic things, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't understand it sometimes where you, you know, you hear about people. I mean, I've witnessed it firsthand when, when people show up and they're completely, they, they have not prepared at all. And you, know, you, you know, of course those people don't, you know, last very long, but I always want to, you know, think to myself, like, like, how could you, like, what did you think was going to happen? Like now you're wondering why you're fired and like, and you don't understand why. It's like it's just they're just very very essential things that I think anyone should, you know, pay as much attention to as, you know, maybe today people pay more attention to, you know, how they look or you know how many followers they have on Instagram or whatnot. But <laughs> yeah. you know, there is 
just simply no substitute for hard work and, and being prepared and showing up and being professional. And again, you know, it probably doesn't happen to the all, all that many people where, where you walk away and people feel like, all right, well, we, let's call that person again because they're dependable. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And if you think about it, it's like there's also a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that's at stake, you know, a lot of money, a lot of reputation. You know, let's say mm -hmm. if you're out on the road, you're touring with someone and, you know, if you're not showing up or if you're not prepared or like there's a lot of damage that can be done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just don't, you don't want to be that guy, you know? Right. <laughs> wow. What a cool story. Now, along the lines prior to Billy, and, and Billy is sort of your, this is what you're doing um, now, you know, you toured with some other, some other country artists and were their support um, for their tours. Um, how do I say this? Have you run into any walls? Obviously, things have come pretty easy for you because you're persistent. You're... Um, um, I guess you're desirable from the sense of you're over-preparing and you're dependable. So you're sort of the ideal candidate to be part of a group that you have to sort of herd cats to get to go, especially when you're touring or trying to get all the people to do one thing. But have you ever run into any type of a wall that you really learned a big lesson from? Oh, absolutely. And, and, um, well, Certainly things haven't just been coming to me all that easily. It's, um, it's hard work. And I think the, the main wall that I, that I've hit is one of, it's, 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 it's a tricky one because, okay. So it's basically you come to town. And you're extremely hungry and ambitious and eager to, you know, you know, to get out there and be, be part of the music world, right? So there's a very, very fine line of, of being persistent and pushy and sort of showing people that, you know, hey, I'm willing, able you know, uh, and you have to be careful how you sort of present yourself in that way. And I know for a fact that, you know, there were multiple, multiple times where I was just too pushy, you know, whether it was, you know, calling people maybe, you know, one too many times and, you know, and wanting to do this and wanting to do that. Um, and I think the wall for everyone, more or less in this town that, that tries to get into, or, you know, in any city, I suppose, but patience is unbelievably difficult to deal with when, when you're eager and when you're young, uh, inexperienced, you think, you know, everything, yeah, simply just because you're, you know, so excited about you know being part of something it doesn't mean that it's just gonna happen like that and so patience becomes extremely important and and you could you could potentially ruin things it could backfire on you if you don't really just know how to you know kind of be cool about it you know luckily i had a lot of older friends that have been in the, uh, in the business a lot longer. Uh, and they kind of basically had to, you know, like, hey, just, this is the deal. You're just going to have to chill. You know, things will come to you. You know, you basically, you know, you kind of prepare your whole life for something like this. And this, this time period becomes so difficult because you're so used to pushing and, and doing this and learning and, you know, feeling extremely ambitious about everything and and now there's like this time period where it's almost like it's out of out of your hands it's out of your mm. control so it doesn't really matter how you know 
how ambitious you had you have been in the past because this is this is this is the time period when you're just gonna have to like all right you're just gonna have to sort of be around you right. can let people know that you're around and <laughs> you know but you can't really push it you know what i mean and i think that was the biggest the biggest wall for me was just learning how to be patient i'm not sure I'm, I'm, i've mastered the the art of being patient yet but um you know it it really taught me a big lesson and you know i i mean i even had people tell me you know straight up why you stop calling me like wow dude chill out you know don't you understand this is not how it works mm. you know so i had moments like that where it was just like oh you know uh, it's just one of those things that like you can't you know you can't go to any yeah. school to be taught those types of things you, again this is this is all part of being thrown in you know you're sink or swim you know you right. choose <laughs> so let's let's talk about you know you tour often um with billy what do you do on your off time i, I you know behind you is probably a lot of what you do but talk about what you do on yeah. your off time uh you know i've always been able to sort of keep a healthy healthy balance between touring and and recording and so that's primarily what I focus on when we're not touring with Billy. I'm not really playing with anyone else. Um, because I kind of get my, I guess I get my, my fix sort of from, from uh, touring with Billy. Uh, so when I'm home, uh, I mean, I love every aspect of the, the recording process. So whether I'm, you know, producing, another artist or writing with people. Um, but the main thing I mainly do, I guess, is I just do drum sessions with people, you know, and because I have my own recording space, it makes it fairly easy for people, you know, either they, they just email me their tracks and uh, do the drums and send it back to them or they show up. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind cool. of, I'll try to keep my, you know, like we all have our sort of creative puzzle, right? Like we all have our little things that need to be met. And, you know, and sometimes, if, you know, you do one thing a bit too much, you know. Like sometimes, you know, as much as I love touring and all of that stuff, you know, you're still a human being to be, uh, you know, on an airplane or in a tour bus, you know, for too long. After a while, you just like, you know, you just need a break from it. Um, and so that's why, you know, creatively, the way I've been able to puzzle things together, uh, it kind of, it works out nicely that way. So. Now for the people that you produce or write songs for or do drum tracks for, and this is something that I don't know, so I'm going to really ask a very transparent question. If you would like to share, feel free if you don't want to. Um, no. You know, because I know I saw um, whether you're doing Gilby Clark now or he's coming down the road, and I think you've done some stuff for Steve. Um, and other people that are, are very well known. Do, mm -hmm. do you do this as favors? Do you guys pay each other? Do you guys Venmo money to each other? Do you guys get a part of the publishing of that track? What do you do? No, no, no. Yeah. People pay each other for sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, obviously, if you write something together, you know, that's where, I guess that's where there's some wiggle room. Let's mm -hmm. say you you know you write a piece of music together that you're trying to I don't know whether it's trying to pitch it for a movie or for another artist maybe even uh, then I suppose you could say that hey we, you know we both put in the hours to make this work and then right. if something happens right then, you know you, you split whatever future profits whether it's you know, from publishing or sync fee or whatever it may be Got so it. I mean yeah some work I do here and there that's, that's I guess you could call it that, that it's all spec. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of how just in general, how people work with each other. No, everyone is very much aware of that. Hey, you know, this is work. This is how we all make Perfect. a living. So, Perfect. You know, everyone has to, everyone has to pay the rent. You <laughs> yeah. know? 
It's just, you know, people get it. You know, I used to have this. This is going to sound pretty mean, actually, but <clears throat> I always felt like it was so disrespectful when uh, it was a time period in my life, again, through the A&R uh, A &R person that I was mentioning, Barry Squire, when I was doing a lot of tours for a lot of people that maybe just had gotten their first record deal and they were out touring and you would do all these TV shows, right? You would do, a, you know, Conan, Dave Lano, you know, like all of them, right? And it was this reoccurring thing where, you know, normally the artist would pay you for a gig that you're doing on TV, you know, just like they would do for, for any other gig, right? There was a lot of managers that I ran into that would argue that, well, but the, the TV show is paying you, so we shouldn't have to pay you. It's like, okay, all right, well, I can somehow see your twisted logic in that, but you're still the one hiring me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they would always come back with this, this hilarious answer. Like, but you get to be on TV. okay all right you know what and this would always be my 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 response would be all right great um when my landlord calls me and wonders why i haven't paid the rent this month i'm just going to tell them to turn on the tv because <laughs> i'm going to be on tv do you think that's going to work you think they'll you know like oh well then fine we'll let this one slide yeah because you know our tenant is on tv great Right. So what I mean by that is that um, people are, as they should, you know, very respectful of each other and, and the time and effort that people put into, you know, to work, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, no, we all pay each other as much okay. as we can. You know, just going back for the, to the television thing once, I've done a little television myself, but being the one of the writers of the music that we performed on TV, you know, before you even go and perform, you have to fill out all these documents regarding the publishing royalties, how long you're going to pay the snippets, you know, how long it's going to yeah. be, you know, all that kind of stuff. So when you are, when you are um, the drummer for the artist or whomever, do you, you don't get any of that, do you? Do you get any of those payments? You get performance royalties. Performance royalties. Yeah. Um, okay. Got it. And then when they do the reruns, sorry, when they do the reruns, it, yeah, you know, yeah, you get, mm -hmm. the, you get another portion of it. And I've, you know, I've done TV shows where I've been, you know, uh, the writer of the of a, a specific song as well. Okay. And it kind of, you know, it, it works the same way. Obviously, you, know, you get more money because you're know, mm -hmm. also the writer of the song. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there are. And people should actually know about this too, because there are different, um, there's a couple of, what should you call them? Services, I guess, where you can go and find uh, performance royalties as a, as a performing musician, because a lot of people don't know about it. Like yeah. you, you play on a record, that does really well, even though you haven't been part of the songwriting whatsoever. Um, and it's, it's called the Special Payments Fund. Ooh. So if you've played on a record that's done well, you know, chances are, you know, there could be some money. In fact, uh, once I became aware of it, this is a long time ago, uh, I called, because you can actually log in onto this page and you can actually see the names of everyone that has uh, funds that haven't been claimed interesting now yeah. these are all from bmi and ascap and all of the publishing nope. royalties that's, no. that's different that's if you are a writer performance royalties are different okay that's if, if you just if you just in my case okay. just play drums on the record yeah yeah that does really well so my friend I saw my friend's name and I'm like, hey, you should probably look into this. It looks like you have some money here. And, um, and he had played on, you know, 
James Blunt's record that did, you know, really, really well back in the day. And like, he called me up like, oh my God, like, like, I think it was something like, you know, it was over $10,000. It was just laying wow. there waiting for him. And what's the just name of that? Yeah. What's the name of that organization? Special for Payments Fund. Special Payments Fund. Okay. Wow. What a good nugget. You just dropped I a think huge. The, uh, that's what the fund is called, but I think the website is something like soundrecording.org, I think. Okay. But I think if you Google Special Payments Fund, uh, that website will show up. Wow. That is yeah. awesome info. <laughs> something yeah. that I never knew about. And, you know, I don't know how long it stays there. Maybe like after 10 years. It just... So did you go on it? You found some funds of yours? I did. I did, and then there's another one that is more uh, primarily focused on Europe. Okay. And I played on a few records that did well over there, so. You know, wow. There's just another source of income that comes in, you know, usually every quarter. Wow. Yeah. That's and awesome. Like I said, some people don't, just don't know about it because they think that yeah. royalties are only going to people that were yeah. part of the songwriting. Absolutely. No, as a performer. Uh, there's definitely um, again not as much but yeah interesting and, and you know and rightly so you know right. what i mean right the record is not just successful because of the songwriting material mm -hmm. you know can have just as much to do with with you know who played on it wow that is such a great information thank you for sharing that yeah so let's continue to go down the line of um i'll call it <coughs> Income or support for, for performing musicians? Uh, I saw on your website that you have a lot of, um, I keep wanting to use sponsors, but um, Endorsement. endorsements, endorsements. So explain a little bit. I mean, you've got a lot of them. Explain how that works. I mean, the, the basics of that is, quite simple and you know in me explaining it this way doesn't obviously take away any like I don't want to sound sort of you know crude about it but in general you know like any other endorsement it's like well you know if you have someone you can, you, you can have an athlete right you can have you know Serena Williams mm -hmm. the tennis player right and, you know she shows up in a commercial drinking a particular type of you know drink right you know, you would think that a lot of other athletes would go out and buy this drink and drink it. It's a special form of marketing. Right. So that's kind of what it just what it comes down to that, you know, obviously it, it's a very much a two way street, though. You know, some of these companies that I've worked with, I've been I've, uh, I've endorsed them for a long, long time. And um, so, of course, you know, for them, it, it's, you know, they can promote. The fact that oh you know Eric Venus is out on tour with Billy Idol and he's using you know these drums or these cymbals or these drumsticks and uh, and I remember you know when I was a kid and I would you know you know read these you know drummer magazines and whatnot it would always be like a couple of pages in the back maybe or in the middle or something where <clears throat> there would be like a picture of so and so and. You know, it could be, you know, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. You know, there's a picture of him and, you know, he's using these particular type of drumsticks or drumheads or whatever. And I, you know, of course, then, you know, you become curious and chances are you go out, you know, and buy that particular type of product. Right. So, and of course, when I say that it's a two-way street, you know, of course, a lot of the times, you know, they will, you know, give me drums or symbols right and sticks and, and 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 i help promote it you know what i mean so it's it's obviously it's great okay awesome thank you for explaining that and as we sort of wind down here um you know one of the questions that i'm asking all of the you know, music folks musicians industry folks is that you know you've shared with us you know some of the triumphs that you've had some of the walls that you've hit you know Give me the biggest epiphany that you've had throughout your career that you thought you were going one way and something hit and you had a huge learning lesson and your, your career took a, a right 
a 90 degree angle. Um, tell me whether that be from just a performance standpoint or your entire career in general, what, what's that one epiphany that you had that you can share? Oh, wow. God, I feel like I've had, you know, quite a few epiphanies <laughs> um, just in terms of. What's the first one that popped in your head? Something that transformed you? Well, again, I mean, I, I mentioned it before, obviously. It, it, it was the way to just, to just be in the music business. Mm -hmm. Not, mm -hmm. you know, to just allow yourself to sort of have the patience to just like, and also, you know, in a sense, you know, allow yourself to have the courage to sort of know that you, well, if you manage to get to this point in your life through music, you know, then chances are that you, you know, you have something to offer, you know, and you just need to have the patience and the courage to sort of let other people discover that about you. And I think I, because I had such a sort of, you know, bulldozer approach to a lot of things early on in my life you know i had a tendency to sort of you know continue to to be that way mm -hmm. and that just proved not to work mm -hmm. not for me and not for the type of people that i that i want to be around and you know when i get approached that way i also sort of try to you know gently tell people that listen up you know, I know, you know, I know this, I know what you're, you know, like I've been through this and you just, you know, you would probably work out better for you if you just uh, maybe did this instead. Yeah. And so I don't, I mean, I, of course there have been many lessons that I've learned along the way and, and there will be many more to be learned from. Um, but I think that one was really the biggest one because I felt like that was such a, I feel like it could have almost shifted everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say I continued to just like, you know, be that way or whatnot, then, you know, chances are, I, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that were given to me. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, people just want to, you know, especially if you're, if you're touring, but you know, it goes for every situation that you're in whether you're just doing a local gig for a couple hours or, or if you're in a recording studio with someone for, for a few days, you know, people want to enjoy their company, you know? Yeah. And there, there, there's a very fine line, and I think people can sniff it out pretty quickly also. I don't, I can. Uh, in terms of if you're just, if you're trying to smooch up to people and, and, and just be that guy just for the sake of being that person, as opposed to, you know, like, yeah, that's just, you know, who this person is, you know, it's just a nice, fun person, relaxed to be around and, you know, right. shows up, does his or her job. <coughs> and I think that, <coughs> excuse me, I think that's probably, you know, a lesson for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're in the music industry or not, but, you know, I think it, every lesson that I've learned that I felt like have been, you know, sort of major for me don't really have anything to do with music or the business it's really just about you know we as people as humans yeah you know and how you know how that affects us in whatever business that we're in yeah. so um, i don't know it's probably a boring answer but it's, no it's not you know and i've not, always told it's true about it's the first thing that popped into my head you know I've always told my, my daughter or whomever, you know, I'm mentoring or coaching is that, you know, if, if you do the right thing, the right thing is going to come back to you. So I'm comfortable, you know, it, it, it took a while to get comfortable in my space. And I, you know, similar to you as you're young and you're hungry and you're persistent, you're trying for that. It, at some point we've all been incredibly annoying. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, learning to sort of sit back, not wait for opportunities come to you. But if you do the right things and you, and you do good for people, like the stories you explained, good things will come back to you and it just will happen. It's, it's not like everything negative is then going to happen to you. And if this yeah. is the business you want to be in, you know, stay in that space. I think that's the main thing that you just, you know, people, 
I mean, if, if, if this is something you want to do, it's like you really, really need to love it. Right. Because it's not going to love you back for a long time. The thick skin is a, definitely a common term that I've heard through everybody that we've talked to so far and, and as we've all lived through it. You have to understand that rejection is part of the business and failing, uh, like I always say, try to fail as fast as you can to learn from that and then just move on <laughs> from that. Right? Absolutely. No, there, there is so much. And I think there's a there's probably a reason why you know my favorite things to read about are, you know, is it's some just psychology in general because mm -hmm. I feel like so much of that is is sort of our our survival in this business because that, you know everything is up and down like yeah it's it's been a good run for me the last few years and you know but but things are always changing and and you have to be just smart about how you how you do things and but again psychology like you said also you know rejection and it's like all of these things that can you know really you know have such a huge impact on our lives and our self-esteem and our pride or ego you know whatever it may be yeah it's like there's so many things to always just you know to sort of center yourself around and, and be aware of but you know because if you, if you don't no one else is going to do it. And then you yeah. could literally, you, you know, you, you could fall apart very easily. You know, there have yeah. been many, many times in my life in this industry where I have, you know, felt about, you know, this big and was convinced that that's it. You know, mm -hmm. that's the end of my career or this is never going to happen or that will be the last of this or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, like, but all those things, you know, not only do you, of course, appreciate the good things even more, but it just, it keeps you, you know, it keeps you humble. It keeps you, right. you know, aware of like, you know, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it can be such a re rewarding business. And obviously, you know, again, the main thing, if you love music and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think there's, and, you know, as difficult as it, as it can be, I think if you love it and you're in it for the right reasons, you know, there's, there's just no reason for why it shouldn't happen to someone else. You know what I mean? Everyone yeah. can, you know, if you do it for the right reasons. And that's what I normally say to people, you know, that, you know, right now is a kind of a difficult time to, uh, you know, I, I'll have, you know, a lot of young people, you know, reach out to me over social media or something and, and you know, ask me to to give advice of you know how to get into the business or how can I do what what you do and and all of those things are it's a little heartbreaking because it's just not the same opportunities at all anymore. Um, but it's nice to see that people have the same you know ambition and the drive and and so the main thing that I and again it's, it's kind of a cheesy answer but it's like it really comes down to just the, like you have to love it. Yeah. Like you really have to love it. And they don't have a plan B. <laughs> just don't have a plan B. There you go. Just yeah. don't. You know? Yeah. Don't fall back on anything, you know? Yeah. Wow. So you, yeah. If you're going to do it, do it. You know? Yeah, so, all in. Stupid Nike commercial. <laughs> Well, Eric, it's been awesome talking to you. I know we, we Thanks, talked a little Amy. longer than anticipated, but I truly appreciate all your stories and insight and guidance. And, you know, of this course. is exactly why we're doing this is because those up and comers desperately need to hear, I think, you know, these stories um, and your nugget that you dropped with the special, special payments fund. Yeah. Payments fund. Holy cow. That yeah, I only take 10% so... for recommending. <laughs> Trust me. You'll, you'll, you'll make it back tenfold, right? Uh, All right, Eric. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, um, you know, if you guys you. have a chance to go see Billy Idol on tour, when's your next tour coming up, by the way? We start again in, uh, in July. And it's a U.S. and Canada tour. Okay. I'm not really supposed how much I can divulge. Uh, I know we're basically, okay. um, once we start up again, it's like two weeks. Two weeks every month, basically. Okay. So I'm sure Very there will cool. be something coming 
near a town, uh, to a venue near you. I don't <laughs> even know what go. the expression is. Coming soon to a... <laughs> town stop. near you, yeah. I'm going to stop. Yeah. All right, Eric. Well, you have a great rest of your day. Truly appreciate all, all right. your insight and we'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for visiting us at the Wise Musician Club. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook and listen to all the interviews and watch their video interviews of the podcast, go to the Wise Musician and like and follow the page. We look forward to seeing you back here or visiting our Facebook page.